Okay, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. How a believer is to view lying. That should be an obvious answer and an obvious comment for us. Um, let me, uh, first of all, as we open up to that passage in Proverbs 13, give you a quick review. This will be, Lord willing, the last message, just two messages, and I didn't want to leave it hanging with what we just covered last week on the subject of lying. We are dealing with the practical application of Proverbs in our personal lives. That's where we are, in case we forgot. And the subject is right now lying, the practical application of Proverbs in our life in relationship to lying. And in a quick synopsis, last time we defined lying, uh, you, you would probably say a false statement, and that's the easy part. Yes, that's true, uh, that that would be the way to define it. But it's also to deceive, to deceive, to mislead, to exaggerate. And uh, we talked uh, about those things, that lying doesn't, and a white lie, any type of lie, any type of diversion from the truth is a lie. And we all do it, not just unbelievers do it, but believers. We deceive people, we mislead them by our actions, we exaggerate. God's perspective last week, we noted, is that he himself not only hates it, but we saw in scripture, particularly in chapter 6, and I won't turn back there, that's an abomination. And it said six things that the Lord hates, and lying was in there, in effect, twice, and how he hates it. Uh, now, how do we lie, there's many ways that we talked about last week, and I won't repeat them all, but it happens by being a false witness, it happens by bragging, it happens by slander, uh, that we lie, again, false statements easy, and even by cheating in business, by cheating people and uh, so forth. So we looked at some of the ways uh, that that can uh, be accomplished. Tonight we want to look at how the believer should view it. I want to look at a couple of biblical illustrations that I had for you. And as I mentioned in closing last night, I actually want to end on a positive note, uh, though we're dealing with the subject of lying. So how should believers view lying? This deception, this bragging, this exaggeration that goes on even in our lives. And I, I should probably share with you that uh, it was kind of funny to me before I left the building and uh, twice that evening, uh, before the evening was over, I was in situations and we were talking, uh, I was talking with different individuals and in each case they lied <laughs> as we were talking, not intentionally, but as we, they were talking they said, uh, I just exaggerated that, that's a lie, you know, and it was interesting how we just came back to what we were learning. Uh, but how should we look at it? Proverbs 13, verse 5. Let's go right to it. It says, a righteous man hates. Well, if God hates it, obviously we should too. But a wicked man acts disgustingly and shamefully. And I'm going to just talk about that because it's the contrast within the verse, and it's the opposite of hating falsehood. Okay, we ought to hate it. Uh, we will see tonight that we are also to avoid it. Uh, we saw that last week as well. But... The believer is to hate lying. And, and what does that mean? Well, I think in the verse where you have the contrast, it helps you when it says the wicked man acts disgustingly and shamefully. And that concept is with an odor. He causes an odor is really how you could literally translate uh, that verse. Uh, where the righteous man hates, hates falsehood, 
With a wicked man, he does not, and that falsehood, in effect, creates an odor. It's a stench, and it's a shame, and it's a disgrace, and that is the concept behind it. That is the way a believer should look at it. We should be looking at lying as something that is disgraceful, something that is odorous to us, not something that we want to get involved in, but it's repulsive to us. We want nothing to do with it, even when we can gain something, because that's usually when we lie, is when we want to gain something, whether it's a person's favor, person's impression of us, gaining something financially, whatever the case might be, and then we go into lying. But we should be looking at it as something that is shameful, something that is disgusting. And we go back to the verse we had last week in a different area, but chapter 4 of Proverbs, let's go there. Look at a couple of other verses. Proverbs 4, and take a look at verse 24. Proverbs 4. Put it away. So hate it and avoid it. We should hate it and we should avoid it. Verse 14. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. It shouldn't be a thing where it's occasional. It shouldn't be a thing where... You know, we can just uh, sometimes do it. It should be something that we want to put far away from us so that and when people think of us, there is no association whatsoever with lying, with being deceitful, with uh, a false image. And we'll talk about that in a, a few minutes. Go with me also to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30. So to hate it and avoid it. That's a good summary and really could conclude really for the evening the way we should look at it, but I'm going to go on with some other things. Just to, again, help us to see how we are to hate it. In chapter 30 of Proverbs, verse 8, keep deception and lies far from me. This was where the prayer in Proverbs was that he didn't want too much, he didn't want to be too rich, he didn't want to be too poor for various reasons that he talks about so that he would deny the Lord. But in the midst of that, the one that's usually not talked about is verse 8, Keep deception and lies far from me is the beginning of the Proverbs. And that, again, is the way it should be with believers. We want nothing to do with lying, even when it's to our shame, even when it's to our embarrassment, uh, and uh, we don't want to go over that bridge and go into lying to protect our image or to protect who we are. Certainly, Proverbs goes a little bit further with it, and we're talking about believers, it is not fitting for a leader. And now you say, yeah, leadership in a church, absolutely. It is not fitting for a leadership in government. It is not fitting for a leader in a home, such as a dad or a mom. And we look at Proverbs 17, and it talks about leadership. It is not fitting for the person to be a liar in chapter 17 of Proverbs. So again, we don't want this to be part of our life. In verse 7, it says, excellent speech is not fitting for a fool, much less than that, are lying lips to a prince. Not only to a prince, but even in the life of a prince. That is not what a leader wants, is someone that will lie to them, someone who will lie for them, nor that it should be even a part of their life. What they want is excellent of, of speech, that which is truthful, that which is forthright. Proverbs 29 Let's turn to Proverbs 29 and verse 12. If a ruler pays attention to falsehood, if that's what's leading, all his ministers become wicked. That's pretty strong. 
So he shouldn't even be att paying attention to that. And a ruler doesn't want people around him who lies for them. Some people want that. Well, you shouldn't if you're in a leadership position. And what will happen is your entire ministry will be affected by that. Okay? Another thing I want to look at, I'm going to jump to the New Testament for this. I referred to it last week and a little bit uh, tonight in, in passing just a moment ago. And that is sometimes we think just lying is just our mouth. But that's not always so. We can lie with our lives. We can say one thing and then our lives are hypocrisy and that is a form of lying. Let me show it to you for just two quick texts text in the same book. Go with me to 1 John chapter 1. And it's just so we don't overlook how with our lives it doesn't line up with what our lips are saying. And in 1 John chapter 1 verse 6 if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, in other words, we're saying we know God, we're walking with him, but our life is something different, what does he say? We lie. And we do not do the truth. We can say that uh, we love the Lord, we're walking with the Lord, we don't read, we don't serve, we don't pray, we don't uh, give witness for the Lord, we we pursue things which are deceitful. We pursue a lifestyle that's contrary to Christianity. It's a lie. It's a lie. In uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, he says the same thing. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That's pretty straightforward and pretty strong. And that, again, is saying that you know, the idea of keeping commandments, you don't do what's in the word. You say you, you love the Lord, you love the word, and so forth, and don't do what it says. So I just want, don't want to overlook that when we're studying in the book of Proverbs, the fact that our life itself can be a lie. And uh, there are those who profess faith in Christ and have nothing to do. Their whole lifestyle outside of being in a church environment is anything but Christian. And so the way that, again, comes back to the way we conduct our business, not just in what we say, but how we act as well. Another thing that may lead to lying, I just want to cover this because it's in the book of Proverbs. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 10. Is too many words. It usually leads to sin. Proverbs 10, 19. And I think that's also true with lying. It says in verse 19, when there are many words, now you won't find the word lying here, but it says when there are many words, transgression, and the implication is it's going to be sinful. Well, what will be sinful? Even the words that are spoken, and if you look at verse 18, he who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool, and then it leads right into verse 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. And sometimes that, that's what happens. We get talking, you get involved in a conversation, and then all of a sudden the mind gets carried away. And I think that's really where the form of exaggeration and everything else uh, starts to come in. But he who restrains his lips is wise. 
and the tongue of the righteous, again, is choice silver. So verse 19 is right in the heart of the concept, again, of the lips and what we do with it. So for simply put, for believers, there's no place for it. We should hate it. We should avoid it. And I want to add one more thing by just illustrating something from the New Testament first, and then I want to look at some people in their lives and then uh, in their lives and then look at what we should be doing. So to make it make you understand the seriousness of it, I want to go to a familiar text. And let's go to Acts chapter five. If you were not here last week, we covered this concept, or at least mentioned it, about white lies or half a lie. Those are the most dangerous. They are lies, plain and simple. And you should be quite familiar with Acts chapter 5, I think. But just to show you how serious it is, I'll pick it up in verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. No problem. Kept back some of the price for himself. Still no problem. With his wife's full knowledge of bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But, Peter said, Ananias, why hast thou, as Satan filled your heart, watch, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? He was trying to impress them that it was everything. And he didn't have to give everything, but that's the way he tried to impress. He lied. He lied not only to the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you look down at the end of verse 4, you have not lied to men, but to who? God. And that's the way we need to view lying. Now, what happened in the incident? Right? Anybody? I'm not going to read it. He died. He was struck dead. Not only that, his wife was shortly thereafter. Would there be anybody in this room if God struck us down when we lied? I can't speak for you, but I would guess that everybody in this room at one time or another has lied, even as a believer, we would not be here. It's serious, and this was serious. Now, we can look at the serious nature again because of the impression, the early church, and all of that, and you can get bogged down in all of that theology, but I think the very simple point is it was lying. It was lying to the Holy Spirit. It was a serious matter, and God, in this particular instance, struck them dead because of what they said. We sometimes think that lying is just trivial. No big deal. It is. And we should not be known for it as believers. I will not turn to the passage in Matthew 12, but I will mention it to you. That's where the Lord says in the judgment day, every idle word will be judged. Every idle word. And uh, that means everything we say. Let me just walk us through some illustrations because we would think that it should never be in the life of a believer true. And it could never be with a person that's following God. Well, it shouldn't be, but is it? Yes. But again, to see the serious nature and just, if you think tonight as you're sitting here, well, Pastor Dan's on a subject and he's given two messages on it and it just doesn't affect me. You're on the threshold of being ready to fall. Because I don't know what's going to come up tomorrow. It's going to come up in five minutes but you could be tested in that very area, and all of a sudden, when it's something that's very close to you, you could end up lying about it. Let's look at some people. Well, let's start with the Old Testament. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. Let's start in Genesis 4. 
We could have gone back earlier, obviously, even to Adam. I'm not using everybody. But with Cain and Abel, how about Cain? Chapter 4, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? What did he say? I do not know. Really? Now somebody could sit here and say, Yeah, technically he didn't know. Maybe he killed him and somebody could carry the body away. Uh, really? He killed his brother. The Lord knew exactly what was going on. And Cain was punished. Am I my brother's keeper, he asked. The Lord knew right through it, and he said, what have you done? He was lying. He was lying, and it cost him to be cast out. In fact, if it wasn't for the Lord's protection here, Cain would have been in trouble. How about Genesis chapter, let's go to 18 first. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. How about verse 14 and 15? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the time, at the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah what? Denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh. That seems pretty innocent. She was laughing, you laughed. No, I didn't. All the kids do that, right? No, no, all the adults do that. You said that, I uh, know I didn't. You meant that, no, I didn't. That's all she was saying. Where do you think she might have got that from? Well, her own nature, sin nature. I agree. Anybody have any other idea? You want to volunteer tonight? Come on. Yeah, her husband. What? Now, we can't blame her husband for her laughing and, and lying, but where do you think she might have learned that? Let's now go back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is a great, great chapter, right? What happens? Well, let's look at the beginning of it. The Lord takes Abraham, verse 1, and the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, <clears throat> from your relatives, to the land that I will show you. <clears throat> now watch this. Tremendous promises. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you. The one who curses you out. How, wouldn't you love to have the Lord come up to you and say all of this? And he's encouraged, and he goes forth in verse 4, and it's wonderful, right? Come down to verse 13. Now he travels. I should have gone back. Verse 11. He comes near to Egypt and said to his wife, See now, I know that you're beautiful, <clears throat> and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they'll kill me. So what does he tell her to do? Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you, so that I may live on account of you. Now, for those who are not familiar with it, technically, was Sarah of the same, at least one of the parents? The answer is yes. Yes. But it's deception. Clear deception, folks even twisted the truth, so why? He tells you specifically, so that I can live. He's asked his wife to lie. Why do you think she lies later? Not a problem. 
Look at chapter 20. This isn't the first time with Abraham. And I'm bringing you through this because as we go on, you know what happens? In chapter 18, Isaac's born. Isaac's born. God's blessing the life of Abraham. Chapter 20. Let's look at verse 2. Abraham's traveling in verse 1. Abraham said to his wife, she said uh, of his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. And now God's going to punish the king if he doesn't let her go. Why was that punishment coming on the king? Because Abraham lied. Well, Abraham's blessed of the Lord. Now, by the time you get to chapter 20, now why am I pointing out Abraham? Just to show you as we talk about Christians and so forth, I'm not excusing lying. In fact, I'm saying we should avoid it and stay away from it. But even the most godly people and even the person that God takes aside like Abraham, he lied once, he lied again. And now in chapter 22, does anybody know what happens in chapter 22? Anybody? He doesn't lie here. Chapter 22. Come on, somebody. Anybody know? What? He offers his son. Now, I haven't done that. Have you? His son is being put on the altar to be sacrificed to the Lord. He has the confidence, we know from Hebrews, that if I kill him, God can raise him up. That is a man of faith. That's chapter 22. Let's try chapter 26. Let's go to chapter 26. And there's other things in between. Chapter 26 of Genesis, verse 7. So Isaac lived in Gerah. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Hmm. Like father, like son. Like father, like wife. I should say like husband, like wife. All started with who? Abraham. Now, again, they're responsible for their own sin, but I wanted you to see that. Let's turn for another example, illustration. 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21. So don't think for a moment as you sit there, you're beyond any of this. In fact, we should probably be under conviction because God doesn't want lying in our life at all. I have several more. I'm just going to look at a couple more. Uh, we'll look at this one. Let's go to 1 Samuel 21. And how about verses 1 and 2? Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you. And I have directed the young man to a certain place. And on he goes, what's the problem here? He lied. He lied. You look a little closely at Bathsheba and everything that happened with him and how he reacts, and I won't even go to that one, even David, even David. How about Peter in the New Testament? Let's go to Matthew 26. Those are all Old Testament, Pastor Dan. 
Matthew 26. You know this well. How vulnerable we are to lying. Matthew 26, all the way down to verse, I'll go to verse 72. This wasn't the first time. When you get into the situation, you see that Peter denied the Lord how many times? Three. Okay, we see in verse 72, and again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And then some bystanders come up to him again, and what happens? He began to curse and swear, verse 74, I do not know the man. Lying. Lying. Why? His life was in jeopardy. And he saw the Savior. You see, circumstances can change. This is the same man who in this same book, it's recorded, was the one that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's the man who also was bold to follow Christ and would stand with him. And now his life is in jeopardy. And under certain circumstances, anything can change so that we're ready to lie. And God hates it, and we should hate it. And probably the one I will turn to, the last one I will use out of my notes as I'm looking here, is actually in Titus. Let's go to Titus chapter 1. The reason I'm going to go to this one is because in this particular situation, you see it's a reputation. Titus chapter 1. And in Titus chapter 1, as this book is introduced, we come down to verse 12. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are what? Always liars. They are known for lying, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Good reputation, huh? But what you see is that was what they were to be known. And and by the way, Titus is given a charge to establish elders and also to take stands for the truth. So I think enough on lying. We've seen a number of areas about lying and how we can lie. The seriousness of it, and God hates it. It's an abomination. That should be the case with us. What should be the positive? And let's end with that as we're talking about the subject of lying uh, in our practical life because we want to see the practical. Now that we're in the New Testament, we'll look at two texts quick. Quickly, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what you want to ask God to help you with. Ephesians chapter 4. Rather than having lying lips, what should we do? Well, when he's talking to the new man, the one that should be putting off the old things and putting on the new self, and when he's talking about how we are to walk worthy of the vocation to which we have been called in chapter 4, By the time you get down to verse 25 of Ephesians, he becomes pretty practical, I think. He says, therefore, conclusion, lay aside falsehood. In other words, get rid of lying. But he doesn't stop there. That's the negative side. We need some positive reinforcement, Paul. Okay. Speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Okay, well, if I'm not going to lie, you want me to speak the truth. For we are members one of another. He doesn't stop there. He says, be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. Do not give uh, the devil an opportunity. He who stole, he's a practical, 
must steal no longer, but must labor with his hand, performing that which is good, so that he will be able to help others. But then he continues and goes right back to speech. Look at verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only a word, and here's some guidelines for us. Only a word that is good for edification. Is that how our speech is governed? Not only should it not be falsehood, but in a very positive way, use your speech as you're talking among yourselves, as we're talking with one another. Think when you're talking about the other person. How can I build that person up? Let's be honest with ourselves. When you're having a conversation with somebody, especially if it's in a difficult area, or especially even with your children, you're, you're confronting something. Do you think about what words can I use to really build them up while I correct them? We don't. Not too often. Or you're talking to another believer, and there has to be a correction. You know, if he was out of line, so Ron's out of line, and I go to him, and do I, am I thinking even in terms of, as I'm talking with him, let me do this so it builds him up. I don't think we always do that. So let not only no unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth, only that which is good for edification, then he helps us. That which is according to the need of the moment. What is the need that that person has? Okay, so that it will give grace to those who hear it. Is that the way our speech is? That's the way it should be. Our speech should not be lying, but in contrast to that, it should be speech that builds up. Not only speech that builds up, but speech that is sufficient to the particular moment that we're in. And not only that, so when the person goes away, they have received grace and they know grace was exercised in that. I.e., since we already looked at Peter, and I won't turn back to that passage again, we know that Peter lied. What happened when the Lord confronted him about lying? How did he use his speech? Peter, do you love me? Oh, I love you, Lord. Well, then feed my sheep. He didn't turn around and say, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. You liar. You denied me three times. It's not what he did. At the moment, Peter was on the road of recovery, needed to be lifted up, and the Lord very graciously and so Peter went away, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. He had been built up. He had what was needed for the moment, even in the situation of correction. He doesn't stop there. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, that's pretty broad, isn't it? Not some. How many times have you talked behind the back of somebody or talked in the face of somebody, never mind behind their back, and you come with bitterness and wrath and anger, you're ready to slander? Put it away. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted. That is in the context of speech, of our speech. Rather than lie, let us build up one another. I'll give you one last passage for tonight. Colossians 4. I think it's a good summary. Very 
similar to in a companion passage, if you will, to what we just read in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul again. And notice the context. He's talking about masters, grant verse 1 of chapter 4, grant to your slaves justice, devote yourselves to prayer, verse 2, praying always, pray for me too that I might speak as I ought to, verse 4, Verse 5, conduct yourselves well before those who are outside. And then he says this in verse 6. Let your speech occasionally be with grace. Is that the way your Bible reads? Let it always be with grace. Well, I don't understand what you mean, Lord. Season with salt. You mean I can sting them? No so that you will know how you should respond to each person, even in response. So yeah, we started with lying. We're not dealing with lying here, but we're dealing, lying is a result of our speech, telling falsehood, being deceptive. Contrary to that, our speech should be such that it's really gracious. It's really edifying. It really builds up, and it's seasoned with salt. And I look at the season with salt uh, for an application is sometimes when you get something and you go to eat it, and you might not think salt is good and all that stuff. I don't want to get into all of this, uh, per se, all of the health issues right here now. But at the right time, the right seasoning on something, ooh, that was a nice flavor. It was appealing. And that's really how it's intended here. That our speech should be such that it is appealing and even attractive. And you know what? Lying is not attractive. That's where we started tonight. Lying is odorous. Uh, it's full of odor. It's, it's repulsive. And it should not be on the tongue of believers. So how are we to react? Hate it. Avoid it. But rather than just giving you the negative, let's fill our lives with speech that not only is truthful, but it goes one step further. It is something that builds up. It's something that adds grace to the hearer. It's something that is honoring to God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you that you are a God who cannot lie. You are a God who we can depend upon. As we look in the word of God, we can know we have eternal life because you've said that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. We thank you and praise you that we know that there will be a resurrection from the grave because you have said that the day is coming in which all will come forth from the graves and some unto the resurrection of life. We know, Heavenly Father, that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit because it's you who said that every believer has the earnestness of the Spirit as a down payment from you, and he indwells each of us. It's because you're a God of truth. Father, we as your representatives here on earth, still in weakness, as we've seen through some illustrations, even with Abraham, with David, with Peter, we still have a tendency to lie. But I pray, Father, you'd help us to put that far from us. Help us, Father, to think before we speak. Help us, Father, to choose our words wisely. And in choosing them, not only not to lie, but to be very positive in rendering grace to the hearer, in edifying and finding the words that are just right for the moment that will help another person that is looking out for their welfare. And I pray, Father, that would bring honor and glory to you Enjoy to our heart as you use us to further the kingdom. 
For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right?